If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 1. I had a friend already come up and say, I think I may be crazy, but correct me, this is not Job. No, this is not Job. This is John, and <laughs> I'm not Joe. <laughs> At least, if I am, I'm the... <laughs> I'm the Costco version, you know? <laughs> John chapter 1. Uh, the real issue in our day is not that we have a, a lack of information, but we have a lack of conviction. And uh, when we look at the Gospel of John, just to set us up this evening uh, as we start our study, uh, again, I'm honored to step in with my friend Joe's um, ministry, and uh, I really, really do have a great deal of respect for Joe. He's been a part of my time here at Bellevue from the very beginning. I remember uh, before I came, uh, I got a call. Uh, years and years ago, I'd pastored in uh, Corinth, Mississippi, or as they say there, car rent. You know, like car rent, house rent, car rent. Uh, and it's in all corn, no cotton candy, all corn county. And uh, they were um, very gracious to me there and developed a lot of friendships in ministry. And the, the associational ministry director was called by Joe to vet me, to, you know, follow up on my, um, those people that would recommend me. And and so after apparently that call went click and they ended, he immediately called me and he said, Brother Mike, you got to know Kenny. Brother Mike, I just want you to know I never give a recommendation without telling the one I recommend that I've been recommending him. Okay, what did you do, Kenny? He said, well, a fellow from Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee has called and asked me about you. I said, okay, Kenny. What was his name? Well, his name was Joe Jernigan. Okay. Kenny, here's the important question. What did you say? <laughs> I think a lot of times we want information. We want to be entertained. We want to know a little more than we used to. But the question is, are we really convicted by it and transformed by it? The first three Gospels in the New Testament really are, scholars call them the synoptic Gospels. That is, they see, S-Y-N, uh, is the same, and optic means look or see. So what we're seeing from their perspective is just basically an accounting of the facts. Matthew uh, accounts the facts for those who would be of Jewish background. And so you have a lot of references to the Old Testament, long speeches and messages that were recorded uh, by uh, Matthew. Mark, uh, the young man who was probably uh, given the information, direct information by Peter as he wrote down, really wrote to the, um, to the Romans because they were people of action. And so you hear the word immediately uh, and after this immediately a lot in the book of Mark. And it's short, you know, no extraneous information, just what did the person do? They didn't care who you were from or your lineage or anything like that. Just what did you accomplish? And Luke was writing from a Greek perspective, a, a very special, a very studied examination, almost a written documentary of the life of Christ. And so you have a lot of great information. And when you come to the book of John, if you haven't already become convinced that he is indeed 
the Christ, the Son of the living God, John steps in, and and really 90% of what he tells us is not repeated in the other Gospels. It's new information in a lot of ways, but it's very enlightening to what we've already read if we've read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now we come to John. But John's point is not just to inform us, but to persuade us. In fact, he says as much. Look with me if you'll just for a moment take your Bibles and turn to chapter 20. Chapter 20 of John, the last two verses just kind of set us up for a study of this gospel. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the the disciples, which are not written in this book. He admits there's information that I could have shared that I have chosen by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, to not include because that was extraneous to what my call as a gospel writer was under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But, verse 31 says, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So you see, that's the point. When a guy says, this is why I've done this, you can say, that's why he did it. And that's why when we begin in John chapter 1 and verse 1 tonight, if you'll turn back there with me, we always are going to have that kind of in our view. We're going to look ahead to why would he include this? Why is it important that he say these things in order that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing we might have life in his name? You see, that's the point. That's the desire. He wants us not only just to be better informed, more intellectually aware, but to have a heart transformation. Look with me again as we start our study tonight. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overwhelm it in some of your translations. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, he's not referring to himself, but to John the Baptist. He says, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all, again, might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about that light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But, here's here's a really good place for that word. That little contrasting, connective word, but. On the other hand, in contrast to what you've just seen about the world and even those who had received promises of the coming light, rejected him, refused to believe that he was what they had been waiting for, yet, it says here in verse 12, but as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in the Word of God, the living Word of God shown to us, revealed to us in the written Word of God. We pray that the Spirit of God tonight would not just inform us, but transform us. That we would be leave in the Son of God, the one who is God of very God. And that believing in a way that changes the way we think, the way we respond, the way we live, Father, that you might be honored and that we humbly, gratefully, with rejoicing, might have life in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in that name we pray tonight. Amen. Amen. We begin this afternoon, as you have uh, picked up notes, if you're that kind that needs all the notes, and I see a few of my life group members, they need the fill in the blanks filled out, okay? The wonder of the light. John begins this gospel with an affirmation of the fact that Jesus Christ is not just another prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not simply a good deeds doer, a miracle worker, but he is God of very God. The scripture says, first of all, in looking at this, in verse 1 and 2, we see the role as the word, or his role as the word. Look with me. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You say, well, that's, that's kind of convoluted, isn't it? No. Just take it one phrase at a time. First of all, it's interesting to me, as I was thinking through this last several days upon the text, that Moses, though he was not a witness, wrote what happened at the beginning. And eventually, John, who could not have seen and would not see until it all comes to pass, will not see until it all comes to pass, the end of time. But both of them begin their first works with, in the beginning. As surely as you and I, as Bible-believing Christians, would say that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. We have to understand that means that he was in the beginning. It didn't, it's not that he came after the beginning. He was already there before anything else was. Why? Because he's God of very God. And as such, it's important for us to take that first phrase, in the beginning was the Word. God had already in time immortal, before there was ever time, before there was ever a granule of dust, before one atom had electrons rotating around neutrons and protons at its core, before any molecule of chemical, before there was ever a star thrown into space, before this world ever knew life in any sense of the word, God the Son was there. The scripture says, first of all, in this, that not only is the word of God eternal, but he is divine. 
Look with me. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was co-reigning before there was everything, anything else to reign over. Before there were angels in heaven, before there was an enemy who had been cast out of that heaven, before there was, again, any solar system or cosmos, before there was ever a human being named Adam breathing his first breath, God the Son was with the Father, with the Spirit, and God himself. He was, again, both eternal and divine. He's not, you know, and let me just share with you, words are important, okay? As I've shared with my life group all the time, words change over time. That's the nature of language. Things that used to mean one thing mean something totally different. And so when we say that Jesus is God today, we have to be very clear. That, that would seem to be an obvious statement. It wouldn't be hard for us to understand. But the reality is when you tell a uh, Jehovah Witness, hey, Jesus is God, they'll go, uh-huh. And you go, well, hey, we've got, we've got fellowship here. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Light doesn't have, dark, uh, have fellowship with darkness. Because what they mean, Jesus is God, is that he is a God. If you look at their New World Translation, which is not a translation at all, but it's just, a, you know, it's baloney, okay? Um, that's the Greek interpretation, you know. We preachers love to say that. Here's the deal. You and I need to understand that Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is God in the sense that he was the first thing God the Father ever created, and then through him everything else was created. That's not Scripture. One of the finest Greek scholars ever in the mid-20th century, A.T. Robertson, who thankfully was a Baptist, Southern Baptist, one of the greatest scholars of Greek language we've known in modern times, will tell, would tell anyone listening that the New World Translation inserts the word a, the, the definite article A in this passage, and, it's, and what, it mean, what it turns out meaning for them is the word was a God. Okay, That's not Scripture. So we have to be very clear about our words and what we mean. You understand tonight, it's not just Jesus is God incarnate. Yes, that's true. But what we mean by that is that he was creator and incarnate, he was not created. You and I have to understand that's, that's a huge difference. And so when we say his role as the word, the word is the exact representation, the, the literal definition of all that it, God would have us to know about him. You say, well, I've got questions about God that I can't find in the Bible. Sure you do. Sure you do. But you don't have one question you need answered that isn't in the Bible. I've got a lot of questions. I have a whole list. I'm a preacher. I've been preaching before we got married. She knew what she was getting into. <laughs> the reality is that you and I need to understand that when we look at this topic, he is not only eternal, he is divine. And you and I need to say with absolute certainty, that is what I believe. You can, hey, listen, I've got friends who are all over the map theologically. 
and I can talk with them. We can have, we can break bread together. We don't, there are secondary or tertiary differences about doctrinal beliefs and, and how we understand scripture that are not important. But let me tell you, there is one primary thing you and I cannot disagree on and both of us be Christian. And that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is God or he is not God at all. And if he is not God at all, then you and I need to close our Bibles, turn off the lights, go home and never return to this campus. Because what we've been telling for over 113 years in this place is false. If you cannot come to the conclusion that God of very God is the one God incarnate, Jesus Christ, then friends, you and I have real differences that aren't just semantic, they are substantive. And you and I need to be on guard. Why does Paul tell us to study to show ourselves approved workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? Because there, is lie, there are lies and error in this world. So when we begin to look at this, first of all, the wonder of the word is that, that he is, the word is God. The word is not just a, an, a, a comment from God. The word is the very expression of his nature. So not only that, but second, the relationship of the world, uh, to the world. Look with me again. All things, verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Not only is it important we understand the word or Jesus Christ role as the Word of God, but we also need to understand his relationship to the world. Jesus Christ is the sole creator. Not soul like you and I have a soul. Soul is in, he is the only unique creator, S-O-L-E. His relationship to the world is that everything that exists was created by God. God the Son is the agent of creation. He is the one who actively formed. And in fact, the scripture says, and in his hands all things hold together right now. Do you know if Jesus ever stepped out of his role? If he ever decided, I, I don't want to maintain this relationship with the cosmos, he, it wouldn't be that he would have to zap us. I mean, he could do that. He's God. I've stopped putting God in a box a long time ago. God can do what I, I know He's not going to do what He says He's not going to do. He's a, He's in a man. Excuse me. He is a God of integrity and consistency. But I'm not going to limit God to my my ability to understand. But what I do know is if He holds us together and holds the entire cosmos, all God does, if He ever were to to resist or, or to reject us, and he won't, because that's be against his character too. But just see the simplicity of this. All he has to do is let go. He's the one that maintains gravity. He's the one that says, hey, this is the wavelength which sound and light will travel. He doesn't have to hold all that together. He doesn't have to maintain all that. We're like, hey, did you understand what scientists, and we've got some in the room, have discovered of late? Yeah, I loved hearing what men have discovered. You know what the proverb says? <laughs> it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of kings to unveil them. <laughs> God's saying, yeah, I knew that. 
You know, I did that. I made that that way. You're just, you, you've, been, you've been looking for 2,000 years since my son was there about how things operate. I knew it millennia before. The reality is you and me need to understand God the Son, the Word of God, is the agent of creation. And He was the one by whom all things were created. And nothing exists that He didn't create. In fact, let me just give you a, a little food for thought. You and I, you know, people say, oh, they're so creative. No, they're not. They're manipulative. You say, oh, my, what? You, we might have some artists in the room. Well, if you are, I'm grateful for you and your gifts and all your abilities. That's wonderful. But let me just tell you, it is the express ability of God to create. To create means to make something out of nothing. The rest of us take something that already exists and put it together in a different form. We manipulate what's already on the table, so to speak, and make something new. Now there is a, I get how people say that's kind of a creative gift. Yes, I understand that. But words matter. You and I are the recipient of all the supplies. Okay? I used to have Miss Brown. She was our elementary art teacher. She, she had one of those big carts, four wheels. She had drawers and uh, doors and all kinds of things all around the sides of that cart. And she'd come in and she was up to her arms and clay, modeling clay dust and all this. And she'd come into our room about two o'clock in the afternoon. We thought, all right, it's art day. You know why? Because she would pour out all that stuff, all those supplies, and say, here's what we're going to do with paint today, or here's what we're going to do with clay today, or here's what we're going to do with papers and scissors today. And as elementary school children, we loved it. It was, it was an opportunity to just express ourselves. But you know what? We never created anything. We just took what was already there and reworked it into something, yes, different than it was. But we didn't create ex nihilo. What this verse is telling us is that Christ, the one who is the God-man and forevermore stands making intercession for you and me, is the same one that out of nothing created everything. And that anything that exists, he did it. And if it doesn't exist, God didn't do it. And there is not one thing that man can ever point to that they can say, God didn't do that. Because nothing exists that he didn't already create. The scripture says not only do we need to understand the word and his role as the word, but, not, but also we need to understand his relationship to the world and his rejection by the world. Look with me again in chapter 1 of John. It says there, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overwhelm or comprehend. It could, not, it could not overwhelm or defeat it. It could not put out the light. Now, you say, how is, how is this verse 4, he was, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. How is that helpful for us? Because I want to remind you of something. When I was growing up, I grew up Southern Baptist. I had a crisis moment, crisis season, my freshman, sophomore year of, of college at a Southern Baptist school. And I was like, is this my faith or is this my parents' faith? Is this something I want to do? Is this something and I want to follow? Or is there something else? Because there was a lot of people, and looking back, there were a whole lot more 
uh, how say, uh, more more to the left folks around me as far as biblical uh, conservatism than I knew. But let me just share with you, I came to a point where I had to decide, is this my faith or is it something that I've just been told? And I own it now. I've owned it for uh, 40 years now. And here's the, here's the thing. When you and I look at this world, in him was life. Everything about the creator God, the word, the God-man we call Jesus Christ. We, we know is Jesus Christ. He is all that. Everything he created testifies to him. And it's not just that he had this intent that every molecule and every part of every atom would testify to him, but it was because he was life, he could not be anything less than life. And so when you and I look at the, around the world, we can see there is a God. We call it, in theological terms, we call it natural revelation. You don't have to be a Southern Baptist preacher to look up in the sky every morning and the sun keeps coming up in the east. And that, that consistency of daylight coming up at the same time, or a little progressively different every day, I'm sure, from our perspective, but it keeps happening. The fact that one season follows another, that the natural order of life is to reproduce life, and the wonder, I some of you know uh, there's been lots of folks to serve Bellevue and uh, one of the folks that is now retired he found out that Wendy and I were going to have our first grandchild and uh, Steve came up to me and he said you know I just want to tell you something I said what is it Steve he said it's really cool to have your first grandchild he said the second one Everybody's still pretty excited. He said, but I want to tell you, the third one comes along, you're just old. <laughs> well, we have four on the way, four now. Uh, and uh, we're just, we're blessed by them. But every time I get to hold that grandbaby for the first time, I don't have to guess, is there a God? I mean, how in the world? I mean, not only because they're just the cutest kid. I mean, listen, your kids are cute, but I'm, I'm saying my kids, they're, they're, they're really cute. It's not just that I love them because they're mine, but I've done enough reading through school and through my own interest to understand the different systems of the human body and how all of them have to work perfectly in minutia of ways in order for that child to even be there. And having the experience on three different occasions, some of you know this, some of you walked with us, with us through it, on three different occasions for Wendy and I to see our children that we had planned for and hoped for and dreamed for for a few months for their life to be taken in, on into glory without us ever being able to hold them alive through perinatal loss. I know life is precious. Life is a gift from God, and everything that exists is stamped with life 
that is divine and eternal and points us toward. Now, we can't find out how to have a relationship with Jesus by looking at the stars. But we can know there is a God above that we have. If there's a God above, then I have to answer to him. And if I have to answer to him, then what should I answer? And, and, and when do I have to answer that? And, and what is the right answers to those questions that he's going to ask me? And it begins to put in our hearts a desire to know him in what we call revealed or specific revelation. Not just general. I know there is a God because I, I'm a human being. But it is through the gospel of Jesus Christ that I know how to relate to him. Well, the world has been given that. On every quadrant and on every continent, in every quarter, men and women, boys and girls, from the dawn of time have been given the opportunity to learn there is a God and then, and then learn if they pursue him, he's a gracious God to reveal himself to them. You say, now, I don't know about that, you know. What about those folks, and you always hear, somebody, I can even hear your wheels turning from here. Somebody out here is asking, well, what about that person who lives in the darkest part of the world, and they've never had a Bible, never had a missionary, never had Jesus? Look with me in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I don't hear as many Bibles turning, but I'm sure it's just because I'm old now. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress. It's not that they're absent of, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Men who will not believe, who do not want to believe, do it not because God is not willing to reveal himself to them, but because they have been revealed a certain amount of general revelation, and he has graciously given them calls to pursue more information, to seek out God, and they say, no, don't want to do that. They suppress it. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, even understood through what has been made. That is, the world around them reveals these things about God. So that they are, what? Without excuse. God does not send people to hell. People reject God and as a consequence wind up separated forever and ever from him. The reality is you and I need to know that this God, this God of very God, the word made flesh is what we call the light of the world, the wonder of the light. Second, the witness of the light. Chapter 1 of John, verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify of that light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Let me just stop there for a moment. (laughs) His calling. When we look at this witness to the light, we need to understand John the Baptist, the one referred to here, this man named John, first of all, he was a man. He wasn't some super spiritual, half angel, half man. He was a man. He was also the last of the Old Testament prophets. The one that not only was prophesying about the future, but a very specific future, a very imminent future. That is, his calling was to prepare the way for Messiah, to make straight the way of the Lord. He was saying, it's not just going to come one day, it's coming now. The Messiah, the Christ, is on his way. Prepare your hearts for him. That's his calling. Second, not only his calling, but his concern. Look with me. He says in... Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. His concern, again, was that men and women who had been in darkness would see the light and believe in the light so that they might know him and know the life that is the light of the world. His concern. Third, very quickly, not only his calling, not only his concern, but his content. His content. He came as a witness, verse 7 says, to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. For he was not the light, but he came to testify what? About the light. You see, John the Baptist, he was a roughshod kind of fellow, okay? Granted, you know, locust and wild honey is not my favorite diet, okay? You know, he, was, he wore clothes that he had sewn out of skins. He was a man who was, by anyone's estimation, even at the time, odd. Okay? He was out of the main, main thoroughfare of life. He did not set himself up on a, on a, on a porch or on a steps on a set of steps in Jerusalem, but outside at the Jordan. And people would come out, not because he was odd looking or he had an odd way about himself, but he had a clear message, an undeviating, unmitigated call to repentance. Why? Because he wanted to share the light. You see, I think sometimes we forget how important it is to stay on message. We live in a world that has, I mean, I get to have the opportunity, men, you know how blessed this is to go grocery shopping for our family from time to time. It's just, it's one of the highlights of my life. I really, I really love it. My wife says, get some cheese. Have you seen the cheese section of the local grocery store? I'm like, I don't even know how to say that, much less if it's any good. But Even grocers know there's a point at which you can't give more choices because people just get lost in the the decision-making, and they don't buy anything. They just say, I can't handle the cheese section, and they avoid it. Well, that makes dairymen really upset, so they don't do that. They limit the number of choices. You and I need to understand, you and I live in a world where there are so many people vying for more choices, more options, more, more, more variations of what we say. But John said, no, there is the light. This is a dark world, and they don't need more directions 
about how to survive in the dark. They need truth about the light. They would not get him to deviate. The persecution, the, the ostracization, all the things that happened to him would not, would not go unheard, but they would go unheeded. It's kind of like the story that Max Licato, one of, I know he's Church of Christ background, but writes some great stuff, love his illustrations. Several years ago, he wrote a book, and in that book, he talked about the fact that one night in a city uh, or a small town, there was a bridge that was a major pass from one side of the city to the other that went out. Flooding had happened, and, and it just wasn't safe uh, especially on the one side of the bridge to, to pass. And so they were, they were making sure that people didn't go on the left side as they continued to, to for, go forward. And as such, he needed some help because he was trying to get the repair done and trying to get the, uh, the, the workers to do that. He needed somebody to go out ahead of the bridge and, and to wear some three, exactly, signs to warn people to, that there was the, this issue going on. And so what happened was he got three aldermen. I don't, I don't, you know, you can say what you say afterwards, but he got three aldermen. The first sign that was given said, bridge out, exclamation point. The second sandwich sign, both sides, said, uh, reduce speed. Third sign said, right Road only. And so the first guy said, hey, I think I need to go several hundred yards up from the, this turn right before you get this curve right before you get to the bridge so that folks will, again, know what's happening ahead. Bridge out. The second one said, that's a great idea. I won't go just as far, but enough time that when they realize what's what they've read, they'll look at my sign and it'll say, reduce speed. Exclamation point again. And the third one said, guys, that's great. And at the point that they've slowed down and they're coming near the, the, the issue area, I'll have the sign that says, right road only. Okay, everybody spaced out. They started. Worked beautifully. People would see the sign, slow down. They'd go over into the right lane. They would avoid any uh, problem. And people safely passed as these men did their job. But after a while, the night got longer, and the first guy got really sleepy. And so he said, I'm just going to set this two-sided sandwich board up, and it'll be right here at the edge of the road, and I'm going to just sit down beside it. Well, sure enough, he fell asleep not long after. But when he did, his arm fell out from away from him. And the way he was laying, it covered up the second word. And all it said was, bridge. Well, the second one was doing his job. He really didn't see his friends sit down or what was going on there. But, you know, people started by the point they saw his sign, reduce speed. They got very appreciative, asked what was going on. He'd stop and talk to him. They'd shake his hand saying, you're doing a great job, Alderman. He thought, this is good politics. This is great. So he got on the outside of the, the sign, between the sign and the road. and He started standing there shaking hands. Well, what happened was the way he was standing Messed up the sign for the oncoming traffic as well. This time, instead of saying, 
uh, reduced speed because he was on the outside. It just said speed. Now, the third guy, hours into this, he's not seeing his buddies. He's standing there, and he says, you know what? I'm not sleepy. He was, and that wasn't his issue. And he, he really wasn't strutting around, you know, glad-handing everybody. He was kind of on. But he started considering the sign. And he says, right, le- right road only. He's like, that's a little dogmatic, isn't it? Maybe I should change it. And so he, he scrawled through the word only. And he put preferred. Right road preferred. But then before he set it back down, he said, you know what? That's still, I mean, maybe your preference is different from mine. And I don't not say that your preference isn't as legitimate as mine. So finally, he wrote, wrote these words. <laughs> right road. One of two equally good options. This sequence of events and changes wasn't just semantics. It was life and death. Because once they read the new signs, people said, well, if it doesn't matter which way I go, I'm going to take the left or the right or whichever. And one person after another plunged into the river because the content of the message had failed. It had been diluted and mitigated and thus lost its ability to help those it was sent to help. You and I need to be very careful that we're more like John than any alderman on a bridge duty. We need to be people who say, look, this thing is about darkened people needing to know about the light. You say, I got to get the rest of the uh, blanks filled in. Well, let's do that. The willingness, third major point, the willingness of the light. What does, it, what does the light want? Well, look with me in verse 9 and following. There was the true light which con- coming into the world enlightens every man. That is, again, there's not a lack of opportunities. Of not, a lot, not a lack of ability to come to know Christ. Now, let me share with you. There are places where a clear gospel ministry has not been established. I understand that. But those are reducing more and more with every year. And we're grateful for that great commission work that many are doing. But let me just tell you, most of the people in the world who are not receiving Christ, especially in our Western world, it's not because they don't have information. It's not for a lack of strong proofs that there is a God to whom we answer and a God who graciously receives all who believe through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. There is a lot of great proofs to commend the gospel. What is the re- issue is not a lack of strong proofs. It is an abundance of sinful pride. People are not lacking uh, helps to understand the gospel. They understand it enough that they don't want to hear any more. And they reject it. Now, does that mean we don't continue to pray for them and minister to them and speak with them and, and, and add more to the, to the consideration that they're making? Yes, we should do all that. But let me just share with you. When you've been faithful, when I've been faithful to testify of the light, 
the onus of responsibility is, according to Scripture, on them. That when we're not faithful, then their blood is on our hands. But when we're faithful, their blood is on their own head. You and I need to understand the Word of God, the light of the world, enlightens everyone. And He desires, it is the most inclusive gospel that we can preach to say, whosoever will may come. But when they come, it's the right road only. It's the right road, Jesus Christ. Because he himself, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, says, no one comes to the Father but by me. Well-intended, good-natured, community-minded people who do not know Jesus die separated from God for all eternity. It's not his desire. It's far from his desire. But you and I must understand the cost of rejecting Jesus Christ because it becomes a motivator for us who do know him to tell everyone we know, not to harp on them, not to harangue them, not to beat them up with with a Bible (laughs) in any sense, but to draw them winsomely, gladly, joyfully to Jesus Christ. The light illuminates everyone. Second, the light identifies with everyone. The Bible says right here, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. God became flesh. He took on flesh. That's why when we say the son of God, modern listeners look at that and they say, well, that's, that's, you know, that's less than, or, or he's not as strong, or he's not as superior, or he's not as smart, or he's not uh, sequentially, he's, he comes less than or after the father. No, 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 no. In the mind and language of the New Testament and the old, the, the idea of being a son is that you share the nature and essence of the father. A horse has the same essence, the same nature as its sire. And so it was in, in the ancients' minds. It's not the, uh, a lesser than or greater than. It's the nature is shared equally with both. And so when we look at that, we say, God of very God, the one who is eternal in the heavens, who was the agent of creation of everything that is and nothing exists apart from him, he's the one that took on flesh and lived a life among us. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 that he was tempted in all manners like we are, and yet he was without sin. Get that? Anything and everything that you and I face, he has faced in similar fashion. And yet he was without sin. And therefore he identifies with every one of us. There's no one he doesn't. Well, nobody understands me. Yes, he does. Well, you know, maybe God understands, but nobody else does. But that's the point. No one and nothing else can identify with you completely. That's why he came to do it eternally well. The light illuminates everyone. The light identifies with everyone. And the light invites everyone. Everyone 
is invited to the kingdom. The scripture here says that the world didn't know him. And even, even those that, that should have known him didn't receive him. They didn't know him experiencing him. They, they, they learned about him, but they never knew him or experienced him as the Savior that he is. But as many as believed. Now, there are people that reject Jesus Christ, but listen to me, but. On the other hand, in contrast to that rejection is that anyone who believes receiving wholeheartedly in a way that not only changes the way I think about God and the world, but changes my heart toward God and the world. It's believing in the New Testament is not about simply I have the ability to answer back on the quiz later on, the facts. It is, I believe this, I know this in such a way that it transforms my heart, mind, life, and everything about me. As many as believed, to them gave he the right to be called, to become, in the New American Standard, the children of God. That's the invitation. You see, so if, if you ever want to tell me, Mike, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate what you said, but, but really it's, it's quite narrow-minded. One, you've just revealed more about you than about me. Okay? You've misunderstood the gospel. You've misunderstood me. Because here it is in clear form. As many as, that is whosoever will, as many as believed in him, to them gave he the right, the privilege, the honor to become, that is to enter into a state or condition of being his children. When he says, come to me, he's saying, children, I'd love to adopt you. Timothy Paul Jones is a professor of ethics and apologetics at Southern Seminary. I've read several of his articles. I, you know, I've been benefited by some of them. I've kind of had to mull over others. But he's quite a sharp guy. And he, he as much as I can see, is trying to live out his life for the Lord. He and his wife adopted, in closing, a little girl who had been previously adopted. Now, can you imagine the trauma in that young lady's life? The uncertainty that might be inherent in her coming into their home. Her previous family had, though she had wanted to, since she could remember, wanted to go to the Magic Kingdom. Now, please understand, I know where Disney is today. Not going there, not, not going to take my grandchildren there. They've made a massive left turn away from any sense of decency. So if you don't like that, come talk to me and I'll convince you further. Uh, but here's the deal. Back then, it was, it was a, the, the, you know, the, what is it, the most, the happiest place in all the world. And this girl finally, with Dr. Uh, Jones and, and his family, they, they went to Florida, went to Orlando. She was having the time of her life. She got back to the hotel that they were staying at one night. She looked at Dr. Jones 
dad. And having experienced the whole day and now a few days into their trip, she looked at him and she said, Daddy, she said, I understand that I am at the magic kingdom. I'm in the magic kingdom, excuse me. Not because I'm good, but because I'm yours. Friends, you and I will be in heaven, not because we're good, but because we're his. As many as believed, to them gave he the right to become, to be called, to enter into the state of being the children of God. That's why it's so important that we stay on message. That's why it makes a difference what we believe about who Jesus Christ is. Not just confirm what he did, but who he is. And John is going to help us step by step understand how important it is not just to know it, but be transformed by who Jesus, the light of the world is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our time together. And I pray your blessings upon every heart here. I don't know where they are in their walk with you, in their relationship with you. But Father, you do. And we've seen tonight that you want them to have a vibrant relationship. And so we ask that you would make that a reality in every heart. And that those of us who know you and are already the children of God, that, Father, we will be clear in what we say, in the messaging, in the, in the words we use to talk about the light of the world in the days ahead. For these are matters of life and death. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Good night.